Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunts, Brian Christofferson. It's now the dead period, but it's never dead around Husker 24-7. Gentlemen? No, it's not. Thank you for that affirmation. <laughs> Brunts staying silent. Dead. <laughs> Brunts is dead. Brunts is dead inside. Look at him with his backward A's cap. Yep. Dead. <laughs> what was uh, what was your immediate reaction to finding out Nebraska could get commitments? I forgot what to do when they get one. <laughs> <laughs> That's happened to me before. It's like how long how long was the drought? I think somebody on the board pointed out it was like seventy two days, seventy one days. It was uh, it was a little over two months. Yeah. It's uh, Nebraska's class currently. They're like seventy second in the country and like twelfth for average star per commit yeah well i mean when you're you got turner and you got xavier pulling you up and logan smothers doesn't hurt tame and Lynham isn't particularly helpful with the the commitment rating uh at the moment but alex khan doesn't hurt either as a high three star so five commitments now for nebraska they picked up one on Sunday from Tame and Lynham, he committed right before he got on an airplane to fly out of uh, Lincoln, and then Alex Kahn committed Monday night. Neither of those particularly surprising, given that Nebraska kind of set them up to to land those commitments here during the dead period, but they also set themselves up uh, for what's going to be quite a few decisions, I think, over the next two to three weeks, and so Nebraska is going to go up from 72 in a hurry. Or I guess down. I don't know how it works. What do you What do you say? I say up. I think up. Yeah. yeah. I think up makes the most sense. Yeah. So uh, I I expect you know by the time we're having a pre Big Ten meetings podcast, so the middle of July, you know Nebraska's probably sitting at eight commitments, if not more. So that'd be three more from this point. So when we're sitting around at the having shots of Malort at Big Ten media days, they're gonna have eight commitments. Yeah, you almost wanted to take that away from us. That's true. I, well, we would have ventured down there. Yeah, it's not the same, though, when you can't stumble back. <laughs> and you have to walk through random parts of Chicago, then you're going through Grant Park. It's 2 in the morning. That's true. And that's the experience you really want before you got to get up and cover that, Big Ten media days. Yeah, when you're waiting for Lovey Smith on the other end to talk about Illinois football. Yeah, no I, They should pass out Malort when Lovey Smith is up there. I think that that should be a thing. <laughs> just watch right. just watch people puking in their spot at the table well, for anybody like, who's never had malort it is like you would rather have gasoline it's paint thinner basically yeah. as a as an alcohol Bruns missed it last time he's a child yeah i lucked out <laughs> so we, he uh, needs to have two this year yeah i'll we, I'll, t- I'll have two we brought somebody <laughs> in his place though so oh, yeah, still, we did. there was still three we got, of us. We got a substitute bronze. Yeah. Well, the I, weird thing is we talked to him. We just called him Michael the whole time. Yeah. He's like, I don't <laughs> well, after the second Lord shot, he's probably like, ah, whatever. I mean, he's taller than us. It was like having you there. Gotcha. Did he walk quickly too? Uh, no, he did not walk as you do. Gotcha. The 12 strides and a single person stride. Yes. But yeah, so Nebraska commitments, they are, like I said, at five right now. Malik Reed just committed before we started the recording of this podcast. He committed to Wisconsin. Uh, that one, you know, I talked to him yesterday morning, and it was all Nebraska and looked very good, and he was headed towards a quick decision. I know Nebraska is going to be reaching out to him on Monday. Apparently Wisconsin got in his ear, whatever they said, definitely sold him, and he went ahead and made that decision. 
committed to Wisconsin this morning, and now Nebraska will have to face him, presumably, uh, you know, several times over the next four to five years. So Malik Reed is a, a miss for Nebraska this month, but they're going to have an opportunity with some other linebackers, I think, to try to replace what he would have given them. But he was – he was a guy that I was particularly high on. I, I think that uh, there's a reason Nebraska kind of had him elevated towards the top of their linebacker board. There's a reason they wanted to get him out here for an official visit again and just didn't work out in their favor. Talk through the two commits. Um, Alex Kahn, I mean, Nebraska's got probably the, the two very good offensive tackles out of the state of Kansas. What, what does he kind of bring to, you know, the other side of that line with, with Turner Corcoran. Yeah, Alex is really interesting because he is not he's not a football junkie to start with. I mean, he's he likes football. He basically his family admitted to he said that they're a pro sports kind of family that hadn't really watched a whole lot of college football. So for him going through this process, it was all pretty new. Like he didn't really know much about Nebraska's history or much about Scott Frost or much about the offense or what they did at UCF or any of that because he wasn't really paying attention to any of it prior to being recruited. So for him, you know, the, the recruiting process, a lot of it was just kind of learning different things. And he gives Nebraska another big offensive tackle. I mean, you look at the, the six line, just discounting that first transition class in which Nebraska took Willie Canty um, and Will Farniak, I think were their offensive linemen. Farniak inherited Canty. Nebraska picked over a few other guys, and Canty ultimately ended up in junior college and doesn't look to be part of their plans going forward. You look at these other linemen, and you have Turner Corcoran, who's you know basically 6'6", 275, 280 pounds. Alex Kahn, 6'6", 280 pounds. Michael Lynn, 6'7", 300 pounds. Bryce Benhart, 6'8", 300 pounds. Matthew Anderson, 6'6", 260 pounds. Jimmy Fritchie, 6'6", 6'7", 260 pounds. Like, they've gone out and gotten some big dudes to play on their offensive line. But guys that aren't, I guess, sloppy looking, I mean, they they went out and they've gotten frames, really. Right. And so when you look at Alex Kahn, I guess naturally you think tackle, but he's also someone that I could see where they, you know, build him up a little bit. and He ends up at guard because he has – you know, pretty decent quickness for a guy his size. And the same with Turner Corcoran, which you think, you know, that's your left tackle of the future, but I don't know if that's necessarily in stone for Nebraska either. So I, I think both of those guys are open to the idea of playing somewhere other than tackle, uh, but that's where they play now for their teams, and so that's kind of what they know. We'll see who can play and who can't in the next couple of years, but you have to say, Greg Austin, yeah. bang-up job recruiting. No, they – and well, and it's interesting because you got the you got the best of everything, really. You have Michael Lynn and Alex Kahn that are regional guys that are high three stars, mm-hmm. and then you went out and you got Bryce Benhart and Turner Corcoran that are you know really notable offensive line recruits that everybody in the country wanted, and then you have a couple guys in in Matthew Anderson and Jimmy Fritchie that are sort of your build them up developmental prospects that could really work in Nebraska's favor with what Zach Duvall and the strength and conditioning can do because those guys have a little bit more athleticism and they're very raw. And so I think that if you ask Greg, and I don't know if you guys have, but I think he's even said this before, he's probably more comfortable as a teacher and as a, as a 
the coach aspect and the development aspect, then he probably is the guy to go out there and recruit you, everybody. Mm-hmm. But he's done a nice job in the recruiting, and then if you're getting that combined with what you know and having him and, and um, uh, what is his name, Frank Verduzzi? Verducci. Verducci. Uh, helping out with that offensive line. I mean, these guys, you have to assume, are going to get every opportunity to develop, and, and I think that's where Greg Austin is really actually going to make his hay. But he's done a nice job getting the pieces, too. With these classes back-to-back, they're stacking up on the O-line. I think they're a year or so away from maybe getting it to what we're seeing on the defensive line, whereas a couple of years ago I remember watching Nebraska's D-line and they're playing Oregon the second week and it's a close game at the end. And DeAndre Thomas, who did a nice job to play as a true freshman, but he's basically out at the nose tackle spot in the fourth quarter of a tight game playing out of necessity. 40 pounds underweight. Yeah, because you don't have the depth. And to think, you know, where they are now on the D-line, where we're talking like, well, that's the deepest group on the team. Mm -hmm. It feels like O-line is working toward toward that mark maybe in like a year or so. You know, they're not there yet, but I think with these two classes they could be. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. Um, And it's just one of those things you have to keep stacking people. You look at the defensive line – and you had Tate Wildeman and Casey Rogers in that first run. And then last year you went and you got Ty Robinson and Mosai Newsom and Brant Banks. And you just have to see where these guys develop. Ethan Piper, potentially Jakeem Green, who we'll get into that situation a little bit later. Uh, so they're, they're putting those people together. And then you have this class where you could have, you know, Nash Hutmacher, Jamar Sakona. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm very curious what they're going to end up looking for defensive end wise or if it's mostly a focus on those interior players this year Casey Rogers is like the perfect example of a guy on the roster of what good depth in your trenches looks like because he had a really promising spring and he could get some use here as a redshirt freshman I think he's on the climb and kind of working his way toward that top tier but yet you don't feel like you have to force it Mm -hmm. this season which they would have a few years ago where Kate Casey Rogers would have had to be part of the equation almost, you know, as a redshirt freshman yeah. a couple of years ago. Now that's not the case. So I think if you want to see what it's supposed to look like or what you hope it does, it's a guy like Casey Rogers who you can throw in there, but he doesn't have to be a, the big dog, you know. It's yeah. not all on his shoulders. Doesn't sometimes when you're able to look back and you get the, the hindsight aspect of it and you see the struggles they've had since 2015 basically – and then you realize that in 2015 they needed a converted tight end and freedom to basically be one of their best defensive ends. Mm-hmm. And you, you just sort of notice that on both sides of the ball, the line depth was just bad. You're like, huh, they really were in trouble, weren't they? Yeah. And then it was easy. it's like so much easier to see. And there's people that are going to be listening to this that are just screaming that they saw it at the time. And I'm sure that we commented on it at the time too, but it's just like horrifyingly thin when you really go back and you look at some of those years, defensive end especially. Well, yeah, I mean, even going far enough back, and hell, the big, the year that played the Big Ten championship. Like, Part of that was injury, though. But still, I mean, because like, I mean, you lost Baker Steinkuhler and you lost somebody else. You're moving Cameron Meredith in. To yeah, defensive mm-hmm. tackle. Defensive I mean, tackle. Mark, Not that it mattered. Mark Molini no. was suddenly starting at center. Yeah. You know, Justin Jackson had gotten hurt, yeah. which Justin Jackson was a defensive lineman that just happened to be their best center in a yeah, decade. He's been the best example of yeah. 
the one time it's worked out where you switch a guy positions and he's actually really good his last year. Yeah. So uh, it does really feel like they are building towards that depth that they haven't had. But they also need those guys to pan out. It's it's one thing for us to sit here and, and talk about, you know, what we think Casey Rogers or Tate Wildeman or Ty Robinson or most those guys have to develop and, mm-hmm. and play at a high enough level. And I, I'm really curious. I mean, Tony Tuioti is going to be fascinating. The body type, the different style of player that he's looking for than what we saw from Mike Dawson. And then if they're, you know, a little bit different style on the defensive line than what we saw from Mike Dawson too. Can you give a snapshot of Lineham? Because I, I'm not going to pretend like I knew much about him until I he can. committed. And people are going to look at his offer list and say, well, what's the deal? Why, are, why is this kid part of it? I think the, the important thing to kind of recognize here is that Nebraska really knows that area of Florida very well. And Orlando, obviously, having coached there for a couple of years at UCF. Travis Fisher knows that school really well uh, because he coached at UCF for a long time. I think with Travis Fisher – a lot of it is it's twofold. It's what does the body look like? And then even more important than that is the mentality. And he sees with Tame and Lynham a pretty aggressive guy uh, that is growing into a six foot two frame that they can throw a bunch of weight on. They think he's going to be able to retain his athleticism. He's got the hip movement and the lateral movement of someone they feel can actually stick and stay at corner which is a big part of why he was of interest to them in the first place. They offered him in May, so this isn't like a you know January guy that you're taking just to fill a spot. So they clearly sought him out and wanted Tame and Lineham. And, and from the conversations I've had, there's a lot of comparison internally to Braxton Clark, who if you talk to some people over there, they think is in line to more or less replace Lamar Jackson in a year So or – somebody gets hurt this year, Braxton Clark's going to be your next corner up. And they really like what he did in his freshman year uh, to prepare himself kind of going forward. So they see some Braxton Clark and Tame and Lynham. Obviously the comparisons of having another Orlando guy that's over six foot that, you know, big, long, and rangy. But that's what Tame and Lynham is. And defensive back recruiting is always going to be kind of fascinating because – Travis Fisher has talked repeatedly, and, and he's an example of it where he doesn't care about star rankings. I mean, he was a two-star guy that ended up at UCF that played multiple years in the NFL that has went and found multiple defensive backs that he brought to UCF that ended up in the NFL. Uh, so he's one of those guys that I think you just kind of have to trust that he sees something that maybe other people aren't in some of these defensive backs. Uh, guys like Miles Farmer and, uh, you know, Tame and Lynham, have big frames, and and I think that's kind of an example of something that he goes out and finds that aren't necessarily being recruited by everybody else. In the same token, you get the Noah Pola Gates, who was being recruited by everyone, or Quentin Newsom, who had Georgia and Auburn and other SEC schools offer early and then want to come back in and during his strong senior year. So uh, I I think you know of the the coaches one of the guys i feel pretty good in terms of his ability to identify talent would be fisher so travis fisher ran a 43740 when, oh. when right before the nfl draft Did that you know? is hard to picture currently yeah. because he's kind of a portly dude now yeah 437 is what he was timed at in pre-draft workouts you need to ask him about that yeah at 559 five, or basically 510 188 yeah. pounds third rounder wasn't he uh, second round. Wow. Yeah. St. Louis? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's, um, 
he had a nice career. And he'll, like I said, I mean, he's talked about it repeatedly. He doesn't particularly care for the social media aspect of recruiting, which is what made Sunday pretty great when every coach was just putting his face on different gifs. Yeah. It's like the only time Travis Fisher appears on Twitter is <laughs> in that form. But uh, I, I think that they are going to take probably four guys – Three of them are going to be corners. One's going to be a safety. The next guy they really, really want, and he's got a decision coming up on July 2nd, I believe. Bruns, is that right? Yes. Uh, it would be Joshua Moten out of Maryland. He visited, and the situation there is thus. I mean, it basically looks like it's Nebraska, Texas A&M. Nebraska is going to throw everything they can at him between now or really between the moment that he left on Sunday to um, – to the decision time, uh, I guess, you know, talking with some people, the big part of that visit was he spent a lot of time with Fisher just going over film, just absorbing everything he possibly can about what it is Nebraska does, what it is that Fisher can teach him, going through his film, going through Nebraska's film. Uh, so they they really hit it off well. And his dad was out for the visit, and his dad really loved it. Mom was not out for the visit. Mom's the one that is going to have kind of the key say in all of this, so. That's who Nebraska has to spend the next few days working on. It's funny with Travis Fisher's recruiting in the last class, too, because I felt like at times there was a little hand-wringing about like what it was looking like in the secondary. And then after Pola Gates finally went public, it was like everybody looked up at what was in there in the barrel, and they're like, yeah. oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> you know? well, I mean, it's, it's like, Javen Wright, Miles Farmer, yeah. uh, Quentin Newsom, and Noah Pola Gates. And if you talk through, like, what group has the best chance to get on the field right away? You got a lot of those safeties that are going to be pushing for special team playing time. I feel like Newsom and Farmer, though, were like probably among the un- most undervalued guys in that class. And I think part of it is that neither of them really did very many interviews. Like, they're kind of a low profile, but I mean, you go look at their film and I mean, how those guys showed up on campus, too. Well, like, you guys saw them on Friday. Yeah. I mean, they're. They're well put together already. Yeah, and uh, I think that was kind of like a – it's like, oh, I see what's going on here. There's a lot of programs that wish they had those guys walking around. I don't know what they're going to do when it counts, but as far as just like guys who, okay, that's what they look like, they look that part. Yeah. Now what can you do with them? I mean, schools would love to have those guys. I don't care what their ratings were or anything or what their offers were. They're – Nebraska, I know you guys know with Miles Farmer, um, there's people over there who thought he's one of their best recruits in that mm-hmm. class. Um, so, I mean, they were ecstatic about him. It is kind of funny talking to, to some people over there as to, like, who their favorite guys are that mm-hmm. Nebraska had landed versus relative to what the recruiting rankings are. Yeah. Because it does not line up as often as you would sort no, of it hope doesn't. that it would. Uh, but I, I think that's one of those things in the recruiting world where it's like you can rank everybody you want, but you're ranking on a base template of just athleticism, not for need, not for fit, not for character, like all of those. You can't really work all of that into your recruiting rankings. And so right. there's just certain guys that I know specifically in that 2019 class, Nebraska could not understand why they rank, were ranked the way they were. Um, because they were a lot higher on their personal boards than what they ended up nationally. Who? Who? Jackson Hanna to start with. Yeah. I mean, I heard repeatedly in September of last year that that was Nebraska's number one 
player that they had in their class, uh, which is a big part of why I had him at the top of my Super 6. Quentin Newsom towards the end of it when some of the SEC schools were coming in, um, I heard repeatedly that that was their one of their top defensive back guys even going into the start of the summer, uh, and they were surprised that he never got a bump in the rankings. But they, I mean, they also love Ty Robinson uh, clearly, Bryce Benhart, Noah Pola Gates. So it's not like you know Wandale. So it's not like there weren't other people, but um, those two in specifics are examples of guys that they were pretty high on uh, and were surprised that the ratings didn't necessarily reflect it as much. They also had a big visit. Well, sorry. Were you? No, go ahead. I was going to pivot to the visit weekend. Yeah, think, go. Uh, if you got something. No, I don't. Okay. Not, not worth saying. Big visit weekend. They had one. Lots of guys in. Friday Night Lights, barbecue. Great barbecue T-shirts, by the way. I don't know if you guys saw Travis Fisher was wearing the big red barbecue shirt. I don't know if great is like a joke here or – It was – Because people on Twitter were ripping the shirts. It was crudely drawn, which I appreciated the kitsch factor of it. It sort of had like a 80s-ish vibe yeah. to it. Is that fair? Yeah. As someone who didn't really spend a lot of time in the decade, I'll defer to you two, but um, – I mean, uh, it wasn't like flock of seagulls haircuts. I only or lived like eight that, years, and I wasn't. What was that? I was only eight years into the. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's almost all of it. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, what I'm saying is, I only was eight years old when it ended. So. That's fair. I mean, I'd have been two. <laughs> yeah. So, my frame of reference on things aren't great for the '80s. Did they actually have barbecue, uh, like a stain on it, intentional? Or did, I saw one. The one I saw actually had a stain on the shirt. <laughs> And maybe Amazing. it was somebody just actually got their I shirt. I hope that it was they put, like, a fake stain on every shirt. That would be great. I think somebody just got their shirt dirty on the uh, one I saw. But I was like, they, that, that would be clever if that was, like, intentional. Yeah. Turner Corcoran told me it was real barbecue. It wasn't any of the fake stuff. They had ribs and chicken and pulled pork and brisket. So they, uh, they pulled out the stops. I know that that was one of the questions I was getting on the recruiting hour a fair amount, is if it was, just like, a barbecue or a cookout. So, hmm. or a grill out. So, you know, we were able to. They accomplished the family vibe, though, it felt like from yeah. the reaction. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, all of the guys that I talked with, and even Malik Reed, who committed to Wisconsin, basically said that you got there and you just felt like no one felt sort of out of place. They all felt like they belonged. The support staff and the coaches and all the people made everyone feel pretty comfortable. And, they had ping pong set up and a chipping contest and other games to kind of get some of the competitive juices flowing and create some conversation and such. Uh, and then one of the interesting comments that, you know, Shea Bryant Strother basically made is that he goes on some of these visits and he meets the coaching staff and it's always this weird vibe because they're trying really hard to seem cool or to like put on a show and he basically said, like, you don't get that from Nebraska. Like, you basically get the guys that you've been talking to on the phone are the same guys you get in person. And if you're not impressed by them or not interested by them, they don't seem to care. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I think that one of Nebraska's biggest selling points under this staff is basically just going to be genuine nature. I mean, I think that's how they want to be. I, You know, not to get into the whole – this staff versus other staffs, but 
there's a reason they don't do a whole lot of major production in terms of the social media and all of that, because it's just not really what they are. Um, and you can also argue that they have to do better at it too, because they, you leave some things on the table that you got to be able to promote a little bit more, but it is really sort of interesting and just a sheer difference between things of that nature. Alex Kahn, the, the quote he told me yesterday all the people are really genuine. Right after I got there, that's all I got. People were genuine. They were upfront with me. They didn't try to throw the sparkles and sunshine in front of my face and try to hide something they didn't like. You know what I mean? I just like that. Yeah. No sparkles and sunshine. Put that he, on a shirt. He's a with big a barbecue stain. I don't know if you noticed <laughs> this be when right. you interviewed him. He's a big. You know what I mean, guy. Yeah. It was. It was basically like talking to miniature. You know, not miniature. Mike Cavanaugh, large Mike Cavanaugh. Mm-hmm. You remember Cavanaugh finishing every sentence. You know what I mean? It was a punctuation to him. But Wilson doesn't know the playbook. You know what I mean? Yep. At the end of the day, is also uh, one of my favorite uh, finisher that's lines. A, that's a Bo Pelini thing too. Yeah. Tommy Armstrong leaned on that one a lot. At too. the end of the day. At the end of the day. At the end of the day, that was Tommy Armstrong's biggest crutch besides his spin move to get out of trouble. Signature, Signature Tommy, Tommy move. It's <laughs> a front to my favorite. We'll never get over that. <laughs> oh, gosh. So it's the dead period, but not the dead period. The, yeah. the dead period. Let me go through some of those visitors a little bit. Okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Try I know that you want to rails. transition there. I'm just getting every phone call right now. Um, Any good ones? One from the University of Nebraska. They want your money. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Uh, this is from Sid Dillon, I assume, telling me my car's finished. Car's That's done. exciting. But Nebraska's visit list. So I mentioned Shea Bryant-Strother. He's a linebacker out of Georgia. Uh, he is what he claims Nebraska calls a four-tool linebacker, which means he can play any of the four positions. Uh, he f- said that Nebraska has basically told him he's kind of one of the rarity guys like that, that they have it a little bit more slotted. Uh, but he is someone that can play outside or inside. He doesn't care which, wherever he can get on the field quickest or wherever he can help Nebraska the most. Uh, he had a great visit, and he's someone to definitely keep an eye on because of the relationships that he has with some of those Georgia guys. Uh, if this were to move quickly, which he was kind of hinting at, you could see where Nebraska might be a team that, that can lock that up fast. He had a great time with uh, the players, great time with the coaches. Um, but we'll see kind of where that one goes. Sevion Morrison, running back out of Tulsa, I think is now at the top of Nebraska's board in terms of most likely running backs they'll get a commitment from. Marvin Scott might be the best running back that they're recruiting, but they like Sevion Morrison a lot. Uh, the only thing that is a concern with Morrison is that if you take that commitment and he has another monster year like he did his junior year, then you're setting yourself up for this situation where if Oklahoma were to come through with an offer late, you might lose your running back. I mean, the kid was out here on his visit. He had Oklahoma uh, wristbands on and wearing Adrian Peterson's number. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that you kind of know going into that. You're, you're setting yourself up for a potential of if Oklahoma wants them, they're going to get a His cell game. phone played Boomer sooner. <laughs> I don't know. That one I'm not sure on. Uh, didn't hear my, uh, anything really from Omar Manning, but I ha- did hear from other people that the visit seemed to go well. But because he's a junior college guy, it's always kind of hard to get a read on them versus some of the high school guys. Uh, Nebraska obviously had Dominic Watt out too. We'll get into his performance here in a little bit uh, and what he did at Friday Night Lights. But they're certainly in the neighborhood of looking for a wide receiver, a junior college wide receiver. Manning would be the guy that they want. A Joe, a Joe 
from Brooks, Alberta, and Clearwater Academy International was probably the scene stealer, I guess, of the weekend, if you will. It's because he's wearing a James Harden jersey. Well, and also because he filled that James Harden jersey out better than James Harden does. But he's, you know, every bit of his six foot three, two hundred and ten pounds. He had an outstanding visit to the point where he's having conversations with his coach about whether he needs to take another official visit, uh, which Nebraska is the only one he's taken. Right now it's Nebraska-Clemson. I mean, some order of those two schools, uh, which is a very rare recruiting battle that we've only basically seen from Jimmy Fritchie recently. So uh, if Nebraska were to win that one, it would be pretty impressive. And he would be a really fascinating wide receiver recruit because I don't know. I mean, is Maurice Purify the closest physical example of a wide receiver that you've seen like a Joe a Joe at Nebraska? What's it, What's his wingspan? You know? 83 inches. So, 6'11 wingspan. It's not a bad catch radius. <laughs> I don't remember. Thank you for that understatement. Yeah, his size... I guess the, the way he's, he's kind of bulked out reminds me of that. I mean, they did have that run of kind of big receivers. I don't remember what friend of the podcast, like Todd Peterson, like what his height was, but yeah. um, he, he, he'll he let us know. Yeah. Um, and Bronson I, looked it up. I think he has before. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Todd. Um, oh, yeah, because now he doesn't have hair. He's, that was a different Oh, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. We, we've been over this. It's yeah. Like, why don't we, we, we keep just, insulting we Todd Peterson? going back to that. I'm Todd not Peterson. insulting. I'm a big Todd Listed Peterson at 6'4", fan. Listed at 6'4", I mean, that's it's comparable size, I guess. But um, Yeah, it definitely is. Swifty was a, He's was, six was two, a taller right? guy. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, they had that kind of run where they had guys like that. Um, late Callahan. Well, and Purify would have been part of that, too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, yeah, he fits into that mold of kind of like late Callahan, early Polini years uh, yeah. that we haven't seen as much of lately. Right. Um, it'll be, uh, I mean, really interesting what's going to happen with him as well. And so I think that's kind of the bulk of the official visitors that they had out. We mentioned Lynham. Uh, we mentioned Malik Reed a little bit. So they, they had a very good weekend. They had a ton of 2021 guys. Uh, I don't know if I have – put in my prediction yet but i'll just go ahead and mention it on the you show you can do it right now uh, Man, yeah i'll would, do a live crystal ball so prediction. freaking dramatic if i have this is amazing to watch i didn't so. think there was going to be smoke but there's smoke <laughs> so it's a 2021 recruit oh mm. you know who it's going to be yeah i think so but i'll i won't ruin the surprise okay yeah nobody's put one in i'll be the first i'm gonna put in a prediction for nebraska to pull another guy out of iowa T.J. Bowlers is going to end up with your Nebraska Cornhuskers by the time this is all said there and done. There you go. You heard it here. Wow. That's a, that's a podcast first. I'm not even going to make the pick premium because I announced it on the podcast. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, T.J. Bowlers, one of 20, nah, a little less than 20, um, 2021 guys that were here with offers. He had a great time. He's been out here several times. Uh, you know, a lot of those Iowa guys, Jeffrey Bowie, Jaden Harrell, uh, Henry Ludovsky, uh, they all had good visits. You know, Nebraska's not going to get all of them, but they've done a really nice job recruiting the state of Iowa, putting pressure on Iowa and Iowa State. You know, we'll find out what's going to happen with Blaze Gunnerson, who I still like Nebraska to end up with. Uh, he's in decision mode, I was told the other day. 
So uh, we'll see what happens with that. But I think Nebraska is certainly going to make things interesting in the state of Iowa going forward. I like the Nebraska-Iowa recruiting thing. It's like if uh, your neighbor keeps mowing like a length into your lawn, you know, for a certain amount of time, and finally you just get sick of it and you start mowing into his a little bit. That's what we got going right now. It seems like an oddly specific scenario. Yeah. Yeah, I maybe. feel like you've had a lot of neighbor-specific scenarios. Yeah, we won't get in. We'll save one of them for some Rainy time. day. Yeah, July maybe. Uh, and we can ask the listeners what they think. But two, two questions, and then we can move off of recruiting into other things. What did you guys think of Dominic Watt on Friday at Friday Night Lights in that scenario? Brunts is grimacing. I'm thinking. That's, thinking, your, I'm that's think, your thinking face? I'm th- yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pained. Man. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you just ate a very, very sour orange. I, he looked good. I mean, I, he, he was probably the, among the more impressive prospects at that camp. He was also a junior college guy going against, you know, Cam Taylor's little brother. and Kids from Loop City. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> You got to consider that a little bit. I mean, it, it'll be fascinating to see what where things are kind of at with him in Nebraska going forward. Because obviously, they liked him enough to have him come up, and they're still talking to him. Uh, I mean, he would potentially help at a position where they're probably going to need some help quickly. But I, I don't know. I mean, you, you hit the backflip after a big catch. Uh, that was that sorry on him. Is that, that kind of like me with the U.S. Women's team? You're like, <laughs> I just don't, I don't like that sort of shenanigans. I, I get it. it's. I've just been to camps where you have a mix of high school and junior college kids before, and it's just always like, you know, you've got Dominic Watt that's you know played a year of JUCO ball in Kansas, standing next to a kid that's you know 16. It's just a different. He took the shirt off too to flex yeah. a little bit. It's 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 just a different dynamic. I would do that too, I guess. If I, if you look like Dominic Watt, yeah, I would probably. I, I would never. I'd be doing this who, by the way, right looked closer to a Joe a Joe than he yeah. did, yeah. you know, kid from Loop City. So, yeah. um, I'd never wear a shirt if I looked like that. By the way, <laughs> right now you just be, <laughs> be very hard for you to go into a place of business. Yeah, isn't it a little hard with Watt because you would you wish, like last season, you had seen more of him getting targets. But they were so Diedrich Mills. Well, and they're not a passing offense under, Heavy. under Jeff Sims, who's no longer there. But with Tom Minnick, you might see a little bit more of the forward yeah. pass as we've come they, to know He had it. 16 catches, right? In 190 yards, yeah. which I think might have been close to their leading receiver. Yeah, so he could be, that could be fine. Like, we, you can't mm-hmm. rain on that. But it's just like it, you almost wish. You'd you, have seen a little more. You yeah. could have known exactly what you're getting with that. Yeah. I thought Xavier Betts, maybe that's your second that would be my second okay. question, and I think that one's a little bit because it's more comparable in terms of uh, what he's going against physically. But I thought Xavier Betts looked outstanding. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I mean, he, he made some really nice catches. I mean, some of the things in this camp is that – and to preface this, this is also why I explained that I thought Clevin, or Kevin Gladney would be a pretty good receiver at some point. When you're playing with really bad quarterback play and – some of the quarterbacks at the camp were not exactly adept at leading receivers or throwing to areas or, you know, whatever you want to use. You have to go up and go get the ball. Xavier Betts had some really nice climbing catches where he went up and in traffic, uh, came down with nice catches. Dominic Watt had a really nice one-handed catch in the corner of the end zone 
on a poorly thrown ball. Uh, but I, I was very impressed by what Xavier Betts did on Friday, and I'm really curious how he does at the opening. I think that he could have, uh, you know, a, a nice time out there too and really kind of earn some attention from various people uh, involved with that. I think Betts is every bit as comparable as some of the big wide receiver studs we've seen come through here on that camp. I actually do. I mean, and I know Joseph Lewis was quite a specimen as a high school kid Mm -hmm. and was impressive, and I don't want to get caught in the moment here. Uh, Obviously, Tyjon Speed and stuff like that, and you've seen some really good players, but uh, I I think if, like, all of them were the same age and you put them out there at a camp like this – I'm just saying I don't think Betts would take a back seat where he'd be like he doesn't belong in that yep. that I agree. that conversation. And I like the fact too that uh he's got his already. He's got his offer, he's got his commitment. He doesn't have to like you could go through the motions at a Friday night like this and it's not gonna cost you. And he decided he was gonna go put on a show and he did. He and just where he was at that event last year compared to where he is this year, it's night and day. I mean, he looked a lot more comfortable. It seemed like he kind of grown into. I think you said that he kind of grown into his athleticism a little bit, which I think is a good way to describe it. I, I was just, I was really impressed with him. And your your point about the quarterback play at those types of events, like you've got late throws, you've got underthrown balls. Um, it's you have to make adjustments quickly, and uh, I thought he did a great job. And you know, I, I think Nebraska is going to be pretty happy uh, with with what they've got with him because he's he's not done growing either. He's a big kid. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, well, we're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to discuss our most indispensable Huskers list. Uh, we're going to discuss oh baseball, baseball. oh baseball, mm, little baseball. So, yeah. Come on back for that. We'll see what else we cook up. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. 
Let us discuss something that Brian has been writing over the last week or so. We all we started this last year, I think, or have we done it for two years now? Uh, last year might have been the first on the site. I used to yeah. do it annually, and it's I I don't know. Well, go on. Yeah. So basically, each of us listed the twenty players that we felt were most valuable for various reasons. I mean, it's it's always a hard whatever the word is that comes after most. It always makes the discussion difficult. Mm-hmm. Because it's not like you're necessarily playing, saying this player is better or it's potential depth is chart better analysis or whatever. More than anything, right? Uh, and we use the word most indispensable, and you, you come up with your twenty, you rank them one through twenty, and everybody. I mean, this isn't giving anything away here. Who's number Ad- one? Adrian Martinez is number one. Why do you have to say that? It was a clean sweep. <laughs> um, we all different number twos though, so we can we keep did. that secret. We did, and uh, you know. Every time I see these lists, it's always interesting to me what I value versus other people or who I think is more valuable in terms of the team than other people. I know last year I left Mick Stoltenberg off my list entirely because I didn't think he was going to be able to play much. He played more than I thought. Um, But I think by the end of the year, he wouldn't have been one of your 20 most important players. Uh, So it's – it's different. Uh, and when I my initial run through, I had completely forgot to put Ben Stilley on there, and I had to go back through and, uh, or no, uh, I left Stilley left off ben by Stilley accident. Off. Who yeah. did I forget? I forgot Cam Taylor. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and we've had people comment wondering, you know, we don't have Bo Wilson on the list. He might be Nebraska's starting center or their starting left guard. He was like an honorable mention, but right? Yeah. And and I totally get why somebody would have him in, but at the same time, the gap between Bo Wilson and Nebraska's next guard to me isn't enormous. The gap between Cam Taylor being your fourth corner or your you know number three safety pretty large. So it's you just kind of have to make value calls on some of these things. Yeah, everybody. Bo Wilson's a good name to bring up because it shows with a list like this how all the over-the-place opinions are going to be because you could make a case that he's in that 20 because, I mean, heck, I don't know what they're going to do at center for sure. I don't know if he factors in. If it's a deal where he's moving over or something um, and he or he can give you play two different spots, I mean, that's that's a huge deal, and then he probably belongs. But right now what we've got, uh, what we've done, put on the site so far, 20 through 16, this is starting at 20 and working up, Cam Taylor – Colin Miller, Wandale Robinson, Maurice Washington, Barrett Pickering. That's 20 through 16. And then 15 through 10, which is where we're at now, uh, 15 is Jack Stoll. Ahead of him, Tyron Ferguson. Then Ben Stilley, Carlos Davis, Darian Daniels, and Dedrick Mills at number 10. So we went on a D-line run there from 13 to 11 with Stilley, Carlos, and Darian Daniels. And... I mean, you could make the case that uh, like a guy like Carlos Davis or Darian Daniels could be top ten. It could be – some people probably say – I didn't uh, have Carlos yeah. on my list. Yeah, actually. have him probably – someone might have a, some of those guys close to the top five. Some might have him like you did. Like I had Carlos Davis like seven, and you had him where you did. So it was kind of a split in the middle of that. But one of the reasons those guys are 13 through 11, I think, is fair to say – is that we all feel like that's the deepest, one yeah. of the deepest positions mm-hmm. on the team. So if uh, if 
Carlos Davis is limping off the field. That's a bad day for Nebraska. Don't get it wrong. That's why he's on the list. But you at least have hope that there's five, six, seven other guys where you can get through this and, and put together a good unit. Yeah, it. you definitely – I mean, that depth that we've talked about certainly changes the way that you rank some of those people. It's, it's interesting to me just trying to, to figure out, like, if someone just blanket asks you, who's Nebraska's best defensive lineman? I'm curious what answer you give there because I guess I'm prone to thinking somebody like Darian Daniels, but I've also never really seen him play. Right. And so then if I'm only basing it off of people I've seen play, then I'd probably say Ben Stilley. And even he had kind of an up and down year last year by his own accord. So it's, it's really the defensive line is kind of interesting in its own right, because you have a lot of these people and there's a lot of potential, but they haven't really, to be honest, scratched the surface of it yet. Yeah, for anybody who thinks we have Stilly and Carlos too low, my, I would go with this. I think they were good players last year, and they're in that group we could have a whole thing about this that need to go to great. Like, you need some guys who have, are solid, and you're like, yeah, he's been around. He's done some things that are nice, but – like start to be like a second team all Big Ten, you know, or even fight for first team all conference. They need a little bit more of that going forward. And then the other one <clears throat> that probably caused the most discussion on our board, and we'll go through it quick, but is Maurice Washington at 17. What do you do with him? Obviously he's in limbo. I would just say that he's on the roster right now, and this is about what it looks like if a guy is lost, and that'd be a big stinking loss if he – he weren't there. He's probably lower, I think, than maybe he should be the more I think about it. And I think we were probably all biased to the idea when we did our list. I'm speaking for myself, I guess. Mm-hmm. But that he, we don't know what his situation is right. completely. So you don't want to put him too high. And maybe we factored that in yeah. too much because the whole point is what's it like without him. But um, that's what we got. Going back to your point about the, the defensive line, I, I think that's the, the good to great thing is important because – I. When you're going back through some of the the line depth issues that they've had, I mean, Nebraska's had some guys that have been multi-year starters at defensive line, in some cases three-year starters at defensive line, and they never – Did anything? They never did anything, or they never really – they basically left the program about where they started uh, when they first started as defensive linemen. So I – I mean, that, that's the challenge that I kind of had when I was listing some of those. And, and when you say who's the best defensive lineman, I'd say, okay, well, maybe Carlos Davis because he's played a lot, but he hasn't taken that next step. Yeah. And same with Khalil Davis. I mean, it seemed like he was kind of on the cusp of doing that last year. Didn't really do it. That, that's, I mean, that, that's the question mark for the defense is can they get enough of those guys who have been the Lamar Jacksons who have started for three years, the – Caprio Boodles that have been in for a long time, the Mo Berries who have played a lot of football. How do you get those guys up to like a like you said, second team all conference would be great for a lot of those guys. But I mean, if you do that with three, four of those guys, you're you're cooking there. I don't think they have a single defensive lineman that I would expect to see second team all conference. Not right now. Not yeah. from what we've seen. I think right. st- like a guy like Stilly, I think has that within him. Yeah, oh, I, I think that it's possible. It needs but to happen. Yeah, We've been way too th- – I mean, think about it. When that all-conference list comes out, some places that's a big deal because there's like four or five guys 
you know, seven guys on it. Mm-hmm. We've been way too, like, it's not a thing here. You know, when you think about it, like we put something up about guys who like make third team or honorable mention, but think about the last few years, how quiet that is that day around here. Mm-hmm. And that's got to change. Like that's got to be a day where there's like, Oh, this guy, that guy should have been first team, you know? And like, we're debating why he was on the second team. You, you don't know, have, you don't have Brett Maher being kicker of the year anymore. In the Big <laughs> yeah. Ten. We got to get a little, a little bit past that. So, and that, and, that comes to this list when you think about guys. Um, I think when the rest of the way home, most of the people it's going to be hard to find too much issue with. Yeah, I think in another week or so, there'd be some interesting conversations about where some of us have specific players Mm -hmm. inside the top ten, but I don't want to to give away. I already gave away number one. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Is it time to slide into some baseball? We're going to spin the wheel first. We can get into that real quick. Yeah, let's uh, let's spin Brian, the wheel. Brian, give it a. We're, we're in a different place today, but we brought the wheel along. Brian, give it a spin. You, you kind of messed up my uh, front door bringing it in, but that's all right. <laughs> well, we tried to jimmy it in there, but yeah. it didn't quite. Yeah, we'll see. Give well, it a what spin. What the repairs are. <laughs> <laughs> there wow, it goes. Look, really, look at that thing. That I thing's really, really going. I really got my muscles. Jeez, I have been working out. Yeah. If you tell. couldn't tell. Oh, we know. What what we land on? All right, here we here we go. Um, okay, there's a line out that says. Uh, it sets a line at eight and a half for Nebraska for the win total in the regular season. This isn't counting a bowl game, eight and a half. So over or under that, uh, if you were a bookmaker, what would your line be for Nebraska football? Like you're setting the line, you're in charge, you want to take people's money, what is the line? I'd set it at seven and a half. Seven and a half, I think. You just want everybody to take your money. What's your what? Oh, if I, well, I mean, if if I, I if I were an odds maker, eight and a half is a great line. I think seven and a half is probably a, where you're comfortable. Where I'd be more comfortable. I agree with that because in my head, I have eight and four like written all over this season, so that's like the p- perfect push. But if I were to say. Which do I feel more comfortable in predicting that Nebraska is going to be a seven and five team or a nine and three and above team? I'd probably still go seven and five until I see it. Like I, I've gotten to that point where. So if the line's at eight and a half and you have to put one paycheck on it, would on I do one it? side? You're going to go the under. Yeah, I think I would. So if if you're saying if you're saying seven and five, are you saying seven five or eight and four? I'm saying eight and four. Well, who, who the, are the, four the line losses? that he's talking about was at right eight and a half. Right. So so if you're saying eight and four, who who are the four losses? Uh, let's see. Uh, let's get the schedule in front of us. Ohio State is, I think, going to be a toss up game, but I don't know if I would just pick Nebraska at this point. Um, I think there's some dangerous road games. Uh, like, I think Maryland is a dangerous game. I would pick Nebraska. Uh, but there's – it's hard because it's it's not as defined anymore with Nebraska football where I say, like, these are win- – it's like this collection of games. Like well, and throw in the Big Ten West being very yeah. interesting this year. But it's like a collection of, like, five to seven games where I'm just like, I don't know, that's kind of a toss-up. And so there's all these just, like, throw them in the air like a coin type games, and that's where I – 
you got to you got to do all the little things really well to turn that to nine and three or ten and two when you were four and eight the year before. So I think that if I also have them at eight and four, I think they go five and four in conference, so they lose four conference games. So you don't think they're going to win the West? I don't think they're going to win the West. I see them losing to Ohio State, to Minnesota, to Wisconsin, and then one of those other road games where it's Indiana – or not Indiana, excuse me. Um, Illinois or Purdue? No, Purdue or Maryland. So it, that's that's what's hard is that I sit here and I do it and you talk it out to yourself and you're like, well, 9-3 and three seems more likely. But it's that one loss that's inexplicable to me that I feel like I have to factor in, at least in every Nebraska season. But I don't like their chances right now of going on the road to Minnesota and winning that game. I don't like their chances of beating Ohio State at home. But maybe after the first four games of the year, I'd have an entirely different opinion. But sitting right here today, I think eight and four is where I'm comfortable. And the most likely losses I see on the schedule, the first two, are that home game against Ohio State and the road game against Minnesota. I also think I've talked myself into Minnesota winning the Big Ten West. So Yeah, you're rowing the boats. When you're talking about nine and three or better, you're saying you think when people, not you, but people in general, they're, they're saying like, okay, Nebraska is definitely going to take care of Colorado. It's, it's sort of assuming yep. they're going to win all. And I have no problem like individually – picking Nebraska to beat Colorado. It's just when you stack four or five of those games in front of you, mm-hmm. my brain tells me Nebraska's probably going to go like three and two in those or something, you know, like that maybe they'll slip up to Maryland or Purdue or whoever. I don't know who it's going to be, but uh, I also think, though, I have this feeling when Scott Frost and this staff break through, it's going to be – it's going to be when people are like, yeah, they can't possibly do that, and then suddenly they're just like, there you know like a double digit win team like what well, does that count this year it's possible i don't discount it i th- i the colorado road game worries me more than the minnesota road game more than the maryland road really game. i feel like nebraska is going to be very similar to last year where you're going to have I, I feel like they're going to get a lot better as the season goes along a little sloppy early but, yeah but i mean i think when, when you look at like what's around Adrian Martinez on offense. I just think over time that group is going to – I think they're going to be better in late October than they're going to be in September. And Colorado's got enough coming back that, you know, early on that that, that group worries me a little bit more than, you know, having to go to Maryland. And you're having a lot – Nebraska's having to ask a lot of newer young guys probably to have big roles like – I mean – like, you could see Diedrich Mills, who we've never seen in a Husker uniform in the second game of the season. It's not beyond my imagination that he's carrying it 17, 18 times, right. you know. And then uh, Wandell Robinson could be out there getting the ball five or six times. And what you're saying makes sense to me that we shouldn't just assume that it's going to happen like that where it looks like it's like it's supposed to look. Um, so I kind of agree agree with you there's just a part of why i think colorado is going to struggle at least initially they have a new head coach it's going to be his biggest game right off the bat is the second game of the year it's like the game was for frost last year pretty much yeah uh except he'll have gotten the colorado state showdown in 
or whatever they call it, the Rocky Mountain Showdown. Mont- Montez is back, right? Yeah. Um, and Chenault. Yep. Yeah. So they, he's got two pieces definitely to, to work with there, but that defense wasn't very good. I mean, I, Nebraska should have won that game by 10 points. Like, that's what is hard about the discussion to Colorado to me, same with Northwestern, is both of those games should have been double-digit wins, and Nebraska lost close and late because of just – bad miscues or drops or penalties or whatever it is. Um, it, neither of those losses should have happened. And so I, I totally get where you're coming from. I feel like Nebraska is a two-win better team than Colorado minimum this upcoming year. Because the other, the other thing that I go back to with that total, too, is, it's, is, is Nebraska, are they five wins better than they were last year right now? Or four wins better? I don't know. The one thing I'd say, though, to that question is I think if you looked at the numbers and the stat nerds got into it, it would you would look at Nebraska as like a six record. to seven win team statistically or something like that, and they weren't. So your question stands, but I think you could – some people could say, well, really when I'm looking at the numbers, I'm only asking them to improve by two games from what they should have been. Sure. Um, I think, though, I mean, we all know the interior of the O-line is a big question. We don't have any idea right now who the center is going to be. Um, and wide receiver can go all over the map. It could, I think wide receiver could be something where we're looking at it halfway through the year like, man, they're freaking good. They got weapons. And then there's that other part where it could be like, who's the third guy? You know, it, 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 you just don't know at this point. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think. One of the reasons I can see them making that improvement is that the defense to me is going to be better than it was last year. I think the front four in particular, front three, front whatever you want to call it, front seven, uh, is going to be better. Um, And then I really feel like they're going to be good at taking the ball away from opponents. I, I think that was a hallmark of what they did at UCF. I think when you look at their last six games last year when they went four and two, they had a positive turnover or a positive takeaway number from that. Most of those games they were winning uh, in terms of taking the ball away. So I see that as a trend that's going to continue for this upcoming season, and that is going to wipe out some of those losses that they had last year too. They're going to get a lot of hands on balls. Yeah. In 20. 17, UCF had 32 takeaways. Nebraska last year had 20. Now UCF played, well, they played one more game, I guess, that year uh, than Nebraska did. But that's 12 more takeaways. If Nebraska could get in the middle of that even. 26. Like, yeah, I, that's that's two wins maybe, you know, if, if you add up those numbers. That, it, sounds, it sounds like you're talking yourself into nine. No, no, I'm not. But I, I think I agree with that. I think that and – uh, the rushing defense total, which is why Tony Odie was brought in here. When he took the job and he did his first interview with us, he said the thing I talked to Chenander and Frost during my interview about more than anything was this is what I would do or how we stop the run. And last year they gave up 5.0 yards per rush, which ranked 107th. Which somehow seems low. Does it? Well, I mean, that's pretty yeah. high, though. I know, but it, it seems low when you think about, like, what Jonathan Taylor did yeah. and what Iowa was doing in that final game. 
seemingly the only team that couldn't use that to their advantage was Michigan State, which the further I get from that game, I think it's maybe the worst offensive performance I've seen from a team in some time. Well, Rutgers defense shut down Michigan State the next week pretty good too. <laughs> but one, one and eleven Rutgers. <laughs> it took a little bit of the yeah. flag waving out of that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That performance. Uh, but uh, I, if you could bring five point zero down to four point zero yards per rush, that that's a huge thing. I mean, that takes you into the top fifty in average yards per attempt in rushing defense. That'd be huge for your total yardage defense. Mm-hmm. It was the worst. That, that was a half-yard improvement from the year before. Yeah, they were, <laughs> the 2017 defense, you could make a fun – maybe it's a July thing to do. No, Nobody will want to read it. But if you compared the 17 unit to the uh, 07 unit, <laughs> that would be like a trip through hell statistically. But it's pretty darn close. 07 played a lot tougher offenses too. Yeah. There were some good teams in that. That was the that was when Kansas had it going and Missouri was good and yeah. Anyway, all right. Now baseball. Yeah, let's do quick baseball. Okay. We're we're pushing an hour. What did you learn from Will Bolt last week? Uh, well, I learned that he still talks a lot like Dave Van Horn. Um, it. I mean, it's Will's been around. I mean, you kind of know what you're going to get with Will. Um, you know, they're, they're going to hit details, they're going to recruit in the, in the state, they're going to develop guys. I was more interested in, in learning more about Lance Harvell and Jeff Christie and their respective roles. Christie gonna, is going to coach pitchers. Uh, Harvell is your recruiting coordinator and is basically just handling the offense. Will Bolt's going to give him the keys. Um, you know, it's – I think it we, – we said it last week. I, I think it's the right hire for Nebraska. I think that Will Bolt is ready for this job. Um you know, I, I think that they're set up where they can win quickly. And, and you know, the I, I was kind of thinking about it, you know, comparing Will and Darren a little bit. And, you know, Darren played a very long time in Major League Baseball. And it, I feel like that was kind of the mindset that he always viewed coaching through a little bit. And, you know, Will's a, a career college coach. I, I think that, you know, he, you don't want to say he was the bad cop when he was at Nebraska, but he was kind of the guy that you know demanded attention to detail. He he was running the offense and and you know really just hammering on those things. And I think that you know that's something that will be good to have. In, was he the, in the guy to get after their ass guy? Kinda. I mean, it, you could tell when he went to A and M in after the fourteen season that there was definitely some of that missing. And I, I think that. You know, the fact that Harvell and he have coached together, that will help. I, th- I think that Jeff Christie is going to be intriguing to follow as pitching coach. Uh, but I think that, you know, Will's pretty confident in him, and we'll see. I mean, that that's – I mean, it's late June right now. You don't really know until fall ball what they've got and, and how they do things. But I, I don't know. It felt like the right hire to me. Are there any – Players that are in the Cape Cod League or anything like that? Have you has that come out yet? Yeah, no. I uh, put the list up a couple weeks ago. It's it's light. Cam Chicks in Vermont. That's probably the most notable one. A couple guys in the Northwoods League, but I mean, they, guys just don't go out as much anymore. Really, especially pitchers. 
because you know you you throw so much in the spring and the fall you kind of take that off or whatever but what a bunch of babies well we, we didn't even get into your first pitch by we the don't way need speaking to. Of, we're way over time speaking here of pitchers, um it was yeah, terrible they, they don't have a ton of people out i mean they might have some guys out more for the second half of the summer but um i mean you were there too what'd you learn you talked to bill moose i thought it was a and this isn't a bad thing necessarily. I thought it was just kind of an understated press conference. It didn't. It didn't feel like it had a lot of pop to it. Right. And I think that's just kind of the way they want to. They're grinders, you know. Right. It's a coach coaching staff at grinders, and it felt like a grinder press conference. There wasn't kind of, a smoke machine. Yeah, it wasn't. There was nothing fancy Did about they have decals it. Decals on the elevator. They, they had. They had his picture on the big screen of Memorial Stadium. That's about as flashy as it got. Oh, wow. There, there were no bold promises, none of that stuff. No cheerleaders? No, no cheerleaders. I guess Moose, I mean, the thing people are interested in probably is like, okay, who who did you think about mm-hmm. for this job? And he acknowledged that he had called Pat Casey and Childress. He did not say he offered them the job. Now people can do, yeah, do what they will with that. I understand that. Uh, but he he did talk to those two gentlemen, which makes sense, and basically said Pat Casey retired. He's not leaving retirement, so that's I assume what Pat Casey told him. Uh, Rod Childress, you know, he's got a good gig. I mean, that's a power program in a great recruiting area. It'd be, I think, some people would find it strange if you left that right for Nebraska. So. Uh, but what he said is all those guys and the people he talked to kept coming back and saying, Will Bolt's ready for this, you know, like he's he's got that and he's no nonsense. And the thing Moose liked is that Bolt had been in that junior college coach and he talked about all these responsibilities that he had and how he shared an office with his secretary and all this. And Will Bolt joked, yeah, I drove the bus too. He wasn't even joking, I don't think. No. So he Moose likes that. He likes a guy who's had to do it all and has to do the details to make a program run. It's the Will Bolt interviewed for the job back in, in 2011 uh, when Darren Erstad got it. He was 31 years old back then. Um, I mean, you, you can make the – I know Bill Moose said he wanted Power 5 experience, but, you know, he, he's coached at A&M. He's coached at Nebraska. I feel like college baseball is a sport that's a little bit different than you know when you than viewed through a football or basketball lens. Where if you're a top assistant at a program, you're getting pretty good experience in terms of what it takes, and you know maybe the difference would be putting the staff together. But I mean, I I, I think he's ready for the job. I mean, you've seen it at other schools where, where young coaches have come in and done a pretty nice job right away, and I, I think if you the fact that he knows kind of what to expect at Nebraska, knows what to expect in the Big Ten, I think that allows him to make a little bit more of a, a plan that's realistic going forward rather than having to, to reset things three years down the road if what he tried didn't work doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I didn't stand around Chrissy, but I briefly listened to Harvell just kind of on the outside, and he was impressive. Like I, I thought he was an impressive guy. And I'm intrigued with what his recruiting ties lead to. Like, I think he'll have some interesting alleys they can go down. Yeah. And it's – with Christie as the, as the pitching coach, um, you know, he, he coached pitchers for two years at Central Oklahoma. He was a volunteer assistant at Nebraska and a for six years, which is 
you want to talk about grinding. Um, but you know what? My first, at first blush, I was like, okay, you got a catcher coaching pitchers. Like that, that's weird to me. But then when you kind of take a step back and think about it, I mean, he, he's been looked at it from a different angle. Um, you know, he's kind of managed the relationships, which is more than any more important, more than anything, just gaining trust and developing those guys. I mean, it, it'll be interesting because at Nebraska, you have to be able to de- to develop pitchers. You're not going to find guys that are just pumping 95 coming out of high school in Nebraska. And how you kind of do navigate that, I think, is going to be tell us whether or not that's that's a good mm-hmm. hire. Or not. Yeah, catch. I mean, catchers understand pitching better than I think anybody. You know, I I I it it all makes sense to me. So I I thought it was a good press conference. It was not over the top. It's just like here we go. Let's get to work. All right. Well, be sure to check out everything at Husker twenty four seven. Have a uh, safe and happy Fourth of July. And we will catch you in July with another podcast from Husker 24-7.